Glory to God who gave us life beyond the grave. Glory to God who gave us life beyond the grave. Hello, church. I'm, I'm telling you this, you know, people, people have asked me, um, you know, about doing funerals, and they are sad, there's no doubt, but I tell people all the time, I would rather do the funeral of an unbeliever than probably anything else in all of ministry. It's the fulfillment of the hope that we have in Christ. What glory. This isn't it, people. This isn't it. If you got all your stake in, in this life and in your 401k, man, we need to talk, all right? Let's grab a cup of coffee. There is life beyond the grave. And uh, we, are, we are blessed because God has given us his word. And he tells us all about what that's like. And this morning we get to, uh, to dig in again. Um, I want to take you back um, to, to high school. Uh, some of you, I've just taken you to, you know, a, f- a few years forward. But um, take you back to high school. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to share uh, from, from one class that I had uh, was biology. Um, I didn't like biology. Um, I couldn't actually stand it. I had a great teacher. It had nothing to do with the teacher. All right? I, just, I just didn't like it because here's the thing. See, when you learn something, there's, there's really two big components to learning. There's, there's the aspect of the content, and then there's the other, the other part, which, which is the, the doing or the practicality of it. And so learning biology wasn't an issue for me. I mean, we sat in the class, and we, we learned, and, you know, they told us about how it worked. I can't tell you a thing about biology, because you know, but I, I did do well in the class. Um, but then it came the time for, for the lab. And then you were supposed to, like, cut up stuff, and uh, dissect all kinds of stuff. Let's just say that uh, blood and I are on opposite sides of the spectrum. And so I wanted nothing to do with that. And so there's a reason I'm not a biologist, one of many. And that's part of it. But see, if, if you go into the classroom, you have to understand that you're going to have to come out of the classroom at some point and then you're going to have to apply what you learned in the classroom. And if you never come out of the classroom, did you really learn it? That's where we're at in our text this morning. So uh, if you have your Bibles, you might want to turn there now to Matthew chapter 7, verse 28. And we're going to be uh, the last two verses of that chapter and into uh, Matthew chapter 8, the first four verses of that chapter. And uh, we, are, we are now having... We're concluding, we're seeing what happens now that Jesus is done teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, if you've been around here for a few months, six to be precise, you will notice, you'll know that that's when we started the Sermon on the Mount. And so for, for basically six, or six months, five and a half months, we have walked and waded through the Sermon on the Mount. We've, we've broken it down and we've, we've taken a look at, at this teaching of Jesus, these three chapters of, of Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and what was Jesus teaching, and, and all that, that it contained that, that he came to share with us as he's talking about specifically the kingdom of heaven. Now, let's go back for just a, just a minute to Matthew chapter 4, 
Matthew chapter 4 begins, the first 11 verses, with the temptation of, of Jesus. And that's followed by the inauguration of Jesus' ministry. We learn that John the Baptist has been taken into custody. We learn that Jesus leaves his hometown of, of Nazareth. And he, he moves out from there and he moves to the north uh, of the Sea of Galilee to this town called Capernaum. And that's where he settles and that's where he sets up camp, if you will, as his ministry begins. And then it says in chapter 4, verse uh, 17, it says, From that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he's begun his ministry. It's just taking off and getting on the ground. The next few verses talk about the 12 disciples that he has called to be his, his closest followers that he's going to invest his life in and they're going to invest their life in him. And at the end of his, they don't know this, but at the end of his life when he returns to heaven, he's going to hand over all the paperwork and say, here you guys go, all right? You've just been in the classroom and now I'm turning you loose into this world and you get to take everything that you know and apply it out there. Then we come to verse 23. And it says, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. The news spread about him so much that people came around him. And he was healing the paralytics and the epileptics and the demoniacs. And large crowds began to follow Jesus. And Jesus didn't come you've read through the New Testament, you know this. Jesus didn't come to just to attract large crowds and to be a real popular speaker. That was not why he came, not even close. It happened, and we'll, we'll understand why it happened here in just, in just a second as, as Matthew gives us insight into our te- in our text today. And so with all these, these people around him, just as Jesus is, is launching his, his ministry and, and it's now becoming becoming public and a little bit more public than he'd like, if you look at Matthew chapter 5 verse 1, you see that Jesus takes his disciples up onto a mountain and he wants to teach them. There's a whole bunch of things that he wants to share with them about the kingdom of heaven. And so he takes them away from the crowd and up onto this mountain and he begins to teach them. And for chapter 5, 6, and 7, he's teaching them all about the kingdom of heaven. But here's what's interesting as we come to our, as, as we come to our text today. Matthew chapter 7 verse 28 through chapter 8 verse 4 and if you are willing and able we invite you to stand as I read uh, our text for this morning. Matthew chapter 7 verse 28. When Jesus had finished these words the crowds were amazed at his teaching for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Chapter 8 verse 1. When Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. And a leper came to him and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go. Show yourself to the priest and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. You may be seated.
So by the time Jesus concludes his teaching of the Sermon on the Mount, which he started with his 12 disciples, which he took up onto the mountain, we see there's large crowds around him. Not just the 12 disciples, but crowds of people. Crowds of people were present. And what we're going to learn as as Matthew is now transitioning out of this heavy teaching time into specifically chapters 8 and 9, we're going to see Jesus going from sharing content to now walking over to that biology lab station and showing these disciples what the content meant and how it is to be applied. And then in chapter 10, as we get there in a few months, we're going to see that Jesus then sends out the 12 disciples and says, your turn, guys. I'm going to be here, but your turn. It's a great, it's a great teaching model, isn't it? You share the content, you show them how it's done, and then you, then you have them go do it. This is what great educators do all the time. And this is what, what Jesus did. And so he finished his words, his, his teaching, these sayings, and the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Something I want us to think about through, for, for these next few minutes that we're, that we're together this morning. Our belief clarifies our testimony which offers us the opportunity to serve in the name of Jesus. Our belief clarifies our testimony, which offers opportunity to serve others in the name of Jesus. Because what we believe and then speak is put to the test in our activity, our actions, and our interactions with others. And we see this as Jesus goes from teaching to now coming down the mountain, and He starts to actively apply what he has been teaching the disciples and subsequently the crowds. So, Jesus, as he taught, it says, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, or they were astonished at his teaching. These three chapters and Crowds are going like, wow, what is it? Here's, 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 the, here's the word uh, in, in the Greek. It's ekpleasomai. Okay, I'm not expecting anybody to, to remember that, write that down. Or, but here's what you need to know about that word. It means being overwhelmed. It suggests a strong and sudden sense of being astounded. Kind of like that. Wow, what was that? Matthew will uh, use that term three other times in his, in his gospel. And I just want to touch on this so you can put these, these four accounts of him using that word together to, to get an understanding of, of what it means that the crowds were astonished or amazed at his teaching. He uses it the second time in, in chapter 13, verse 54. And uh, here what's going on is the people of Jesus' hometown were astonished at Jesus' teaching in the synagogue. Remember, uh, he said that we read that Jesus was from Nazareth. That was his hometown. And so Nazareth was a, you know, it was, it was just a little podunk town. There was no significance to, to Nazareth. And that's where, that's where Jesus uh, grew up. And so as he comes to teach in the synagogue, 
the people of Jesus' hometown, they were astonished. Ek somai. Ek somai. Overwhelmed. It's, it's that idea, you know, you, you come from your, your hometown and, and then you hear about somebody who is really, really good at something, becomes famous or well-known throughout the, the region or the country. And you're like, really? I, I didn't see that coming. You know, and it kind of takes you aback. I knew that kid when he was in seventh grade. Surprised he graduated high school. You know, it's, it's, that, it's that kind of, it's, that's, what, that's what the meaning of the word is. Matthew 19, 25, um, the disciples upon hearing Jesus tell them this, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They were astonished and they said, well, then who can be saved? Jesus was teaching the disciples and going like, he says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. I a camel, I have a needle. Huh? Then who can be saved? It was, you know, in, in my day, the vernacular was, it was mind-blowing. You know, I'm not cool or hip enough to even know what the vernacular is today. I'm, I'm too old. Then in Matthew chapter 22 is the, is the fourth time uh, Matthew uses it. The same word. Jesus was responding to a question from the Sadducees regarding the resurrection, which, by the way, not going to get into it, but there's irony in that because the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. So right away, they're asking about the It's a whole other message. Got to wait for another day. But Jesus responding to that question ends with, his answer is, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. And the crowds were astonished. They were amazed. They were overwhelmed at Jesus' teaching. That's what's going on here. Jesus teaches on this mountainside, and the crowds are just going, wow. No words. They couldn't get over what Jesus had just taught. Partly because of what he taught, but a greater part was the manner in which Jesus taught. Look at verse 29. For he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. He was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. I uh, had the privilege of growing up in a Christian home. I became a a follower of Jesus at, at six years of age, and there are some great, wonderful benefits to that, and I am grateful for that. There's also a Every now and again, there's a, there's a drawback that I find to it. And, and here's, this is one of them. Because having, having grown up in a, in a Christian home as a, as a believer and trusting in Jesus as, as a young child, always believing in Jesus being the Son of God and that He died on the cross for, for the forgiveness of sin and for the forgiveness of my sin and that He was the only one who could satisfy, His blood was the only one that could satisfy God's wrath in that. I sometimes get a little too comfortable with Scripture and, and read over phrases and don't grasp the entire, the entire meaning of, of, of what's there. And, and this, is, this is one of those, those verses. For he was teaching them as one having authority. I grew up as a Christian, so I'm like, duh, he's Jesus. He's God's son. He's divine. Of course he has authority. When you go back and put yourself in the setting, you go, well, that would be a brand new thing to them because they had never, ever seen or heard anyone like Jesus. 
Note what Matthew says. And not as their scribes. What did their scribes do? Their scribes taught, absolutely. But, their scri- but the scribes weren't teaching anything of their own authority. The scribes, they were teaching what they learned from other rabbis. They weren't teaching their own stuff. Let me make it really, really plain. I am not teaching God's Word this morning of my own authority. I'm teaching Scripture. And I'm praying to God that all I teach is Scripture and nothing about me. Because I don't have any authority, but God's Word does. I've been, I've been asked from time to time as a, as a pastor, isn't it you know, difficult? People get upset with you, you know, and you, you tell them, you know, you confront them on, on sin, or they, they come to you and ask them, and you go, well, you know, you know, maybe you should, you know, God's Word says, says you should probably not do that, and you should, should do this, and, and don't, don't people get mad and upset you? I said, well, yeah, sure. He says, well, doesn't that bother you? It's like, not really, because they really don't have an issue with me. I didn't make this stuff up. I'm just simply trying to go back to the Word of God and share with them what God's Word says, and their issue is always with God. Very rarely is it, is it with me, and it's and it's definitely not, if it's with me, it's not based on the content. It might be based on me and maybe how I delivered the content or shared it with them, and that is my own fault. But the content, the content is all God's. And the scribes were people who quoted other rabbis. They searched for learned men that they could then quote and that they could then say, here's what this person had to say. So the scribes' authority was was not themselves, it it was other men. Jesus, on the other hand, very clearly, Matthew says here, the crowds were going, he taught of his own authority. Well, Well, sure he did. And we heard it. We maybe don't remember it as we went through the Sermon on the Mount, but you will as soon as I say it. Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, You have heard it said, but I say to you. Ah, there it is. You have heard it said. Yeah, that's what the scribes, that's what the Pharisees, that's what they taught. But I say to you, wait a minute, hold on, what's going on here? Jesus now teaching of his own, his own authority. He's actually letting them know, look, I am the Messiah. I am God. I am the Son of God who is God. And so Jesus wasn't contradicting what God revealed to Moses or the other Old Testament writers. Jesus was, was fulfilling it. And he was saying, here's, here's, what Moses, here's what Moses taught, and here's the fulfillment of it. He spoke on his own authority. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven in heaven and on earth, has been given to me. Jesus never even said, thus says the Lord. That would have been like him speaking in second or third person. He simply said, but I say to you. Which means he had the authority to correctly interpret the law. And the crowds, they got it. 
That's what was so mind-blowing. That's why they were amazed. Six times in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, You have heard it said, but I say to you. Jesus was teaching the Torah, the law, the first five books of the Old Testament. He was teaching it in a way that showed it was God's law first and foremost and that he was God. The scribes and Pharisees based their authority on what, they, on what and who they learned under. Jesus based his authority on the fact that it was his word from the beginning. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. It's talking about Jesus. He wasn't guessing, he wasn't hoping. No, Jesus was saying, this is the way it is. And now he's about to show people that what he preached, he is going to put into practice. And so Matthew changes, changes here. We're going, as I said, we're going into to a couple chapters here where he's going to start living this out, where faith in Jesus is, is going to be tested. In fact, he's going to test them, his disciples in particular, as to, are you really in on this? I called you in Matthew chapter 4, and then we did a little ministry, and then I took you up onto this mountain and, and spent three chapters teaching you. And now in just a little bit, he's going he's to challenge him, and we'll get there in a few weeks. He's going to challenge him with some very strong words of, hey, are you in or not? You see, the religious leaders of the day would share the law, would share these, these truths and talk about God and His kingdom. But they struggled because their actions often were, were self-serving. And they were more interested in this little narrow sliver of how to be completely o- obedient to all that the law could have possibly meant that they actually missed a multitude of opportunities to do ministry among people who had great need. And we're coming to four verses where we're going to find out about a guy who has great need. And so Jesus taught with authority and the people saw it and now he is going to heal with the same authority that he taught. When he came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him and a leper came to him. Sometimes we go over Scripture way too quick and we miss what would have happened in that setting. There is a large crowd of people around Jesus as he comes down the mountain. Now, if you know anything about lepers, they were not welcome in the community. They were, not, they were ceremonially unclean. They were not welcome in worship. They were outcasts and had to be outside the city. So they're coming down this mountain and this leper is outside the city. But they're not supposed to be around people. So if people are around, even if you're outside the city, as a leper, you're supposed to cry out, unclean, unclean, so everybody knows and they can get away and not be near you. And leprosy, the, the word that's used here for leprosy, 
has to do with uh, a variety of skin diseases. Uh, some were very contagious, um, most of them in fact. They made lepers outcasts, as I have, have uh, said. And they also, it was, it was very grotesque. I mean, it, leprosy got to the point where, you know, the, not only the skin falls off, but you might lose an appendage in the process. And so that is the man who is coming to Jesus as he comes down the mountain with these crowds. Again, I, I'll read over stuff like this and go, okay, that's pretty cool. Now, Matthew doesn't say, and neither do Mark or Luke in their uh, account of this same interaction. But think about when you're in a crowd of people and someone is there that's causing trouble or someone's there who's not going to be there. What happens? Somebody lets people know and, and eventually can kind of become a, kind of a big deal. And eventually they, kind of, they point it out if it's, if it's a big enough distraction, right? So if a leper is coming to Jesus, towards Jesus, as it says, and there's a crowd of people around him, you've got to know and you've got to imagine that all of a sudden the people are just, wait, wait, what? Hold, stop, what? No, no! The leper keeps coming, it says, and he bows down or he kneels down before him. That word uh, for kneel down or for bow down is proskuneo. Proskuneo is the, uh, a word that's used for worship. And I want to share with you um, real quickly here uh, the other two accounts that I've referenced. Mark 1, verse 40 to 45, it's the same account in Luke 5, 12 to 16. And I just I want you to, to, to hear for uh, some of the other things that, that they add here. Mark 1, as, as Mark re records this account, he says, And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I'm willing. Be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he sternly warned him and immediately sent him away. And Jesus said to this man who had been leprous but was cleansed, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony. But that's not what the man did. Mark records these words. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in the unpopulated areas and they were coming to him from everywhere. Luke, in his account, records it this way in chapter 5, verses, beginning of verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, meaning Jesus, behold, there was a man covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. And Jesus ordered him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, just as Moses commanded, as a testimony to them. But the news about him was spreading even farther. That's the news about Jesus was spreading even farther. And large, large crowds were gathering to hear him. 
See, leprosy didn't have a cure. And only God was the one who could heal a leper. And it was very, very rare that anyone was healed of leprosy as we read through the Old Testament. Here's what I find fascinating. Listen to the words the leper, the leper speaks after, as he comes to Jesus and bows down, kneels down before him. He says this, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Did you catch it? The leper knows without a doubt Jesus has the power to cleanse him. To not only heal him, but to restore him back into the community and to bring him back into the fellowship with others so they can gather together at the temple. He can be back in religious services. The leper knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus can do it. That's not, that's not what's up for debate. What the question the leper has is, are you willing? Big difference. Big difference. He acknowledges and knows, this guy, this, this teacher, this rabbi standing in front of me, like that he can do it. I just don't know if he's willing. So I'm just going to ask, if you're willing, can I be cleansed? text tells us that Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying I am willing be cleansed and immediately his leprosy was cleansed imagine being that leper I know he can do it I just don't know if he's willing does he want to heal me I don't know but I'm going to ask and I'm going, to take, I'm going to take the risk. I'm going to take the risk to go in among the crowds. I'm not supposed to be there. I'm supposed to, as a leper, I'm supposed to be yelling out unclean, unclean as I come so that people know to get out of the way. And the text doesn't tell us. And maybe and it's very likely he did that. But when he gets in front of Jesus, he bows down and he kneels and he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I'm willing. Be cleansed. And immediately, immediately. Immediately in the Greek means immediately. There's actually, you know, it's, it's no difference. It's boom, right now. He's cleansed. There's a moment, eh? Whoa. New lease on life. Brand new lease on life. You know, it's not any different than the lease on life you and I got when we came to Jesus Christ and asked for the forgiveness of sin. Or at least it shouldn't be. If you're here this morning and you came to Jesus Christ by grace through faith and said, Jesus, I, I acknowledge you as the Son of God who died on the cross to save me from my sin. And Jesus said, all right. That's why I died. Absolutely. You're forgiven. Do we look at ourselves and go, wow. 
I've been cleansed. I've been made whole. I've been made new. I've got a new lease on life. When I die, I'm going to glory. When this life is over, I can spend eternity with God. Why? Because of what I didn't know. Not at all. But because of that rabbi, that teacher on the mountain who came down. And in the same way he cleansed the leper, he cleansed me of my sin. He made me clean. He made the leper clean. Now that's an interesting, it's an interesting ask from the leper. He didn't just ask to be healed. He asked to be cleansed. Because he just didn't want to be healed. He wanted to be back in with community. He wanted to be back in amongst people. He wanted to be part of being around his town, of being able to go to the temple. He wanted to be able to worship together. He didn't want to be isolated. He didn't want to be alone anymore. And Jesus did that for him by stretching out his hand and touching him. So Jesus has this response, which he does in other places uh, in, in Scripture when he heals people, and he says, hey, don't tell anybody, but just go to the priest. You see, the, the reason he says that is the priest was the only one who could declare someone cleansed. And so that's why Jesus is saying, go to the, to the priest. The priest will declare you clean, and then you can join back in to society and culture and, and community. But don't go tell anybody. Now, here's, here's what I understand to be one of the reasons Jesus does that. Jesus didn't came to be a flashy individual who walked around and who did really cool stuff for people by feeding them when they're hungry, uh, cleansing them from leprosy, healing paralyzed people. That wasn't the sole extent of his ministry. He did that, but if you notice as you read through Scripture, he doesn't do it for everybody. But here's what he does for everybody. He died on the cross for everybody. He gave his life as the sacrifice for sin, for the times in our life when you and I are disobedient to God. And by the way, that happened when you came out of the womb because there's this thing called original sin that we are born with. We don't like to think about it. But I know there's no parent in here who taught their child, hey, why don't, why don't one of your first words be mine? I know there's no parent in here who taught their child, hey, I really want you to be a selfish individual. That just comes naturally. Where does that come from? It's called original sin. That's why Jesus died on the cross. So here's where it is for us today. Jesus spent chapters 5, 6, and 7 in the classroom, if you will. Comes down the mountain, and now we're going into the lab. Now we're going into real life. Now we're going into putting into practice that which we have learned from the textbook. 